Welcome to Younger Older. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and we're here in the studios at SilverBirchRanch.org on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. In each program we come to, we try and interview or talk across a table with another individual. And often I'm talking with a young college person, and I'm a little bit older, but today I brought in somebody that was somewhat of a contemporary of mine. He went to college when I did, and he was a freshman at Wheaton College when I was a senior, played football there, and I played football, so we have some very interesting connections. So, Tim, I want to welcome you to Younger Older and ask you, what are you doing here at Silver Birch Ranch this time of year? Because you don't live here. So tell us where you're from and what you're doing here. So we have a an apartment in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, since retirement in December of 2015, um, we had been involved with Habitat for Humanity, and, uh, and we've done volunteering in different things across the United States. And one of those things uh, that we became interested in last year was uh, to volunteer up at Silver Birch with our connections, certainly to you, Dave, as well as uh, my high school and gr- basically a friend growing up in church, uh, Jeff. And uh, so those connections kind of brought in, obviously as a camp, uh, we knew they always needed volunteers. And so uh, this last two weeks, my wife and I are here helping out. You know, it's been a great blessing because as you know, at the end of summer, a lot of our college kids go back to school. So uh, next year, you want to come back, feel free. Bring a bunch of people with you. And we'll be able to staff the place the last couple of years a little bit better. Uh, because, um, you know, you never really know what the, the future holds for any of us. And it's so much fun to be involved in service with people. And you're involved now with Habitat for Humanity. And I have a theory that actually community, healthy Christian community, is developed through service. It isn't developed through just sitting and looking at each other. And it's not developed through just coffee. It's really developed when you serve together. And when you serve, there's a camaraderie that begins to develop. Uh, illustrated by football through the years and the people you play football with. Um, behind us is a, a little place we use for breakfast for a bunch of students in the morning, uh, campers. And that was built by a guy that you and I know, Kevin Blusher, and myself. He came up, and he's an alumni also of Wheaton, played football with us. And this spring he came up, and him and I built that place behind us. I tell you, we had a ball just building it. And we started off right where we left off, you know, how many years ago now, 40 years ago or whatever it might be, uh, when we left school. Because we played ball together. We knew each other back then. Uh, we had drifted through the years. You know, I mean, you get busy in life and you, you kind of lose contact for a while. Then all of a sudden there's a reconnection and we started off where we left off and uh, we ended up building this place. So I've been in contact with him through the summer. And once again, it's interesting. Uh, Jeff, who you mentioned, and, and Kevin Blusher, who is up here, you start becoming, you start seeing the importance of service in that community. You know, th- they come up and serve, and all of a sudden you're part of the community again. And it's, it's not just because you're hanging out. It's because you actually did something with your talents and your skills, and they're different. Um, uh, Kevin's an old farmer, so it's one of those things. When he came up and said, you're a farmer, you can do anything. I mean, you can do anything we ask you. You could weld, you could be a mechanic, you, you, can, you, can, you can go work our farm equipment, you can build. And he just smiled, it's like, and then he proved me right. I mean, we went and did things, and whatever we did, he could do. And I thought, oh, this is fun. And it was fun for me to serve with him. And 
And likewise, as you've been here, it's just fun again to rethink of the, the years that we spent. Uh, not you and I really didn't know each other in college, but the years that we corporately spent, um, we have some very in common things. Um, we both played football, both went to Wheaton. Uh, I just told you, you were actually in ROTC. And I took it back then, you had to take a year of ROTC. And um, my platoon actually won the marching contest. So uh, I'm, I'm, we still laugh about that to this day because I'm not sure we knew what we were doing, but we won. And um, that was kind of the, the, the fun part for us. Uh, but now you've gone, you've, gone you, you've had a career. Um, you actually had a career in the FBI and the government and that kind of thing. And it was fruitful. You enjoyed, I believe, um, what you did, what God had you do. You learned a lot. And you retired from there after how many years? 29. Okay. And, and did you retire because you had to, you wanted to? Uh, so the government, uh, by law, Congress has, uh, if you're a federal officer, agent, uh, that 57 is the mandatory age of retirement. So okay. you know that going in um, and you start making plans appropriately, you know, you uh, when basically they s kind of kick you out. Okay. And uh, I had actually made plans. I actually was hired uh, as a contractor in DC, like many <laughs> folks. And, um, but the more that my wife and I prayed about it, uh, making a couple extra dollars was not important in the scheme of things. And we felt that God was calling us to other things. And that's kind of the departure. So we left DC uh, in December of 15. So why Habitat? I mean, you've been involved yeah. in Habitat for Humanity. Why, why would you then begin to do this? And what do you do with Habitat? Yeah. So uh, obviously coming out of a white collar job, um, I've always, though, enjoyed working with my hands. I've finished, you know, my basement when I lived in D.C. I've worked on my houses and uh, partly initially uh, because I couldn't afford <laughs> to hire anyone. And then partly just because I enjoyed figuring things out <clears throat> and working on it. So Habitat, uh, when we lived in Tucson, Arizona. I took my son out for one of his community projects to habitat orientation and started learning about it and specifically learned about they also had an RV program, which my wife and I have had RVs uh, throughout our married life and the travel opportunities there. And um, so I became more interested uh, as far as this could be somewhere where uh, God would call us as almost traveling missionaries to do. And that's kind of the path uh, we set uh, after I left uh, the FBI is to work with Habitat full-time. We lived in an RV oh, and traveled the country. Fun. You know, I, I like to encourage young people, and you can jump in after I say what I try and encourage them to do. But I, I'd love for them to think about their life as maybe a couple careers. I mean, as, as they look at their life, to pick a career, do it, whatever God puts you in life to do. But perhaps end it early enough so you can just give your skills back to the community, give your skills to people that, that you've developed through the years. By the time you're in our age bracket, you, you understand what you do well. You know, I mean, here's what I do, here's not what I do. Nobody would want me volunteering for their accounting. You know, I mean, they just wouldn't want me doing that. So I'm not going to go anywhere and help somebody with their accounting. But I'll bet you there are people that have been in accounting all their life who could very much help a nonprofit or a, or, or, or a young family or something learn how to budget and learn how to do things that they need to learn. And maybe they can make less money in life at some point and go and say, you know what, I'm going to go use what I have done all my life to make a decent living. And, 
and I'm going to go help others so that they can have a foundation. It sounds like that's what you want to do in Habitat, is, is go and just help others with some of the, the skill set that you and your wife have right now that you can give away in that point. And not unsimilar to what I like to do at my age, all the podcasts, all the teaching, all the stuff I'm doing, my goal right now is to try and figure out how do I give away everything I've, I've learned. I mean, I've learned that I've been now here 40 plus years and uh, as far as full time and then 54 summers, complete summers and going on 55 now next year. So I've learned a lot in that time. So the question is, how do you give it away in a way that people actually will listen to it? And so that's what I'm working on. And I see you doing the same and I see some others. We, uh, we, you've actually met a guy, Mike, who works here, who, who's doing that, who retired and said, I'm going to give my skills away the rest of my life if I can do that. Uh, we had a man here who was actually, his name was Carden, and he was here, and he was a firefighter in Chicago area, and because he only, he worked one day and was off, whatever they are, two, three, whatever they do, and he was a plumber during those other days. And so he ended up actually being a firefighter and a plumber, so he retired from both, so he had, I think, pensions from both. And he just went and he served here eight hours a day, you know, five days a week for 20 years for nothing. He just moved up here and served. And I'm thinking, you know what? Good for you. He, he helped build. He helped break. He helped, you know, whatever we needed to do. And I thought, there you go. Young people, you got a challenge. You don't need to work and then, like the rich fool, spend all your money on yourself. You, you don't need to do that. But what I think is playing from an early age to say, God, I, you know, if, if I do get a chance to retire, and some may not, uh, it, it, I'm not going to just be like the rich fool and say I'm, I'm going to spend all this money on myself. I'm going to look for how you have developed me into who I am, and I'm going to give that away in the latter part of my years. And then when you take me home, I'll, I'll go home with my heels kicking and say, go ahead, I'm out of here. You know, I've, I've done what I need to do. Am I describing what the thought is for you on that? Yeah, I think a couple thoughts uh, first on the seasons of life. When we looked at it and uh, I feel very, even though I went to Wheaton um, most of my career, obviously in the government, the army, the FBI. Um, and so uh, with a Christian worldview, but I, I enjoy being around also uh, guys uh, who don't know Christ. Um, I can hang with them. I can talk the same language. Um, and yet uh, there's introductions there uh, and there's lifestyle choices um, that we engage in throughout that time. Um, and obviously serving with those guys, I was on the SWAT team. So sure. there's some of the same type of uh, things that you get out of football. Right. Camaraderie. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so uh, my thought, I mean, uh, God himself in the form of Jesus um, was a carpenter for 30 years, kind of a trade. Um, and when God does that, and then in another season of life, God called his son for, on a three-year evangelical message tour about he was the Christ, right. the Messiah. And so that season, that, that other 30 years is not wasted. God was still God in Jesus doing work that we don't understand. Right. Um, and the same thing for my life or your life or anything else. There are seasons where, well, I'm not sure why I'm going through this, uh, why I'm in this career, but God is still using you. And so in this season of our life, um, uh, which is retirement, which both Cindy and I 
understand is not in the Bible. There's no retirement. Right. So we, that's an American thing. And I get the American dream. Um, but if you understand the message of Christ, uh, he calls us to serve. Um, and whether that's you're making money or you're not making money, that's not the relevant point. It's, uh, he calls us to serve. And so, uh, Habitat was that venue for us as a Christian nonprofit, but working with, uh, many Christ non-Christians along the way. And it has some of the ethics that we, uh, believe in and enjoy. And the training program for the low income is tremendous for us. So it kind of matched up with what we like to do. And not only we do it in our RV, but we do it back in Greenville, South Carolina, where we're kind of home based out of. Yeah. You know, I think really you're describing a, a healthy mind frame, a, a young person, right? God didn't design it so that your pastor should be the evangelistic expert. In fact, I, I think that when you think about how the Bible talks about the church, the church are people who are, who are, who are already believers. They're, it's not talking about those who aren't believers. So the church is really two believers. And my job, no matter what my job is, whether it be working at Walmart, being an FBI agent, being a soldier, whatever it might be, my job is to point to Christ. That's my job. I, I was, this morning I was just reading in the book of John, and, and there was a crowd following Jesus right before he fed them, you know, the, the 5,000. And they were amazed because he was going around, everything he was doing with, you know, healing people. And I don't know what was happening. Fig trees were blooming figs or something. I have no idea. But wherever he went, things were happening. And, and so he, he attracted a crowd just because he was Jesus. And I thought, you know, that's my job, not, not to try and attract a crowd, but to be unique and different you know, to, to love people, to be in a, a position where when people see me, they're going, what about him? What, what about him? And I think whether you work for Habitat or Humanity or you're a Walmart clerk or whatever it might be, you, you have the opportunity to live in a way that doesn't say, look at me, but look at God. And if you're in that habit, then when you get to an age where you say, you know what, I have enough resource. I don't, I don't need to keep getting more resource. So I have enough resource. You know what? What I want to do is just take again what I've learned and switch it to a different venue, maybe that I haven't been able to do at this point. But I want to encourage young people: everything you do now is a training ground, and it, it's the same. You need to develop the same habit. If you get paid more than you need today, which in America, United States of America, you probably do. So if you get paid more than you need, the excess isn't because God wants you to be selfish. That we know. So, I mean, that much I know. What is the excess? I have no idea. But, but it's not there so that you can be self-centered. It's there for a purpose. And you seek God because it's his resource. And you say, what do you want me to do with this? And he may want you to put it away because you're going to live to be 150 and someone's going to have to feed you. And it may be a provision for later that you don't know about. may not be. I, I, tell the story of my dad. My dad was in ministry all his life. He really didn't have a retirement plan. He was a pastor. When I started teaching in 1978, I actually made 1,000 more than him, and he had been at his church like 25 years. So, it, you know, starting teacher's salary was bigger than his, and obviously there were no benefits or perks or anything that went with that. And, I, and you know, I heard all his life he worked, and he gave, and he gave his stuff away, and and I thought, I wonder how he's going to be taken care of. I guess I'm taking care of him, you know, when he gets older. But what I didn't know is God was taking him out of here at 60. He didn't need it. 
you know, he just didn't need it at that point. My mom, she had enough. The day she died, I think she might have had like a thousand bucks left or something. I, you know, I forget what it was, but God provided for him. And it, it was interesting to see a guy just sensitive to the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to trust God. And God took care of him until the day he died. And that's the promise we have. And so I, I encourage those that are listening, you know, get to know God, know who he is, trust him, enjoy the fact that whatever job he puts in in this life, it's, it's important. It's important to reflect who God is. And then if you ever get to a point where you can change direction because you don't need those resources anymore and you want to do something like Habitat for Humanity, go, go ahead. Or, or volunteer at Silver Birch Ranch or whatever it might be that God puts on your heart to do. Um, I think that's such an incredible mind frame for people who know God, and, and it should be in, in their lives. Um, and different, I think, than what's really taught in a godless world, you know, where comfort and go after whatever yourself. Um, but I have some questions about Habitat, if I, if I can throw them at you. Is it a Christian organization? Yes. So it's a Christian nonprofit that was founded, unlike most people that if they heard about Habitat, believe that Jimmy Carter founded it. Oh. <laughs> no, it was founded in 1976 by Millard Fuller. Uh, Jimmy Carter was in his presidency then, but Jimmy Carter, I believe, uh, became involved in Habitat in about 1981, 1982 after he left the presidency. Yeah, well, I can see why it started there because interest rates were crazy. <laughs> I mean, if you remember those days, it was tough to get a loan and, yeah. and tough to get a house. So I can see why there were a lot of need back then right. that would spur the idea of we need to help people. Um, now, when when you it, now it my thought right away is okay. Think about Habitat for Humanity. Are there a bunch of swindlers out there who try and say? this is a way I can get money for myself or, or get a house for myself and I don't have to pay for it full. I can find these guys to do all the work and get all that. And, and really, they really shouldn't be in line for this, but, but they figure out a way to beat the system and somehow squeeze your habitat for humanity for all it's worth. Yeah, well, I won't ever say that that could never happen okay. in my experience uh, because there's always probably some outliner. However, um, as long as we've been involved, and I believe the organization was founded first for affordable homes for the low income. That is kind of the basis of Habitat Homes. When you become an applicant for a homeowner, you have to fill out an application. You not only have to be a U.S. citizen, you have to go through drug testing, a background check. You also have to agree to sweat equity. Uh, it, that's to, that is dictated by the affiliate, but it averages 250 hours per person. If you're married, that's going to be 500 hours that you have to mostly build on other Habitat owners' houses. You put in sweat equity as well as then sweat equity on your own. You also have to take about eight weeks of classes. These will be classes that go over finance 101. They use some Dave Ramsey stuff. Um, also maintenance. Also um, uh, how to raise children. So the principles are Christian principles that they build upon. Then Habitat is the bank. They hold the mortgage. Yes, all of Habitat owners uh, do have a mortgage over 30 years, um, but generally because they either it's interest-free or very low interest rate, a half percent or something like that, 1%, um, they can save money. The, the interesting statistic, at least for me, 
And again, think about the demographic, low income, poor, uh, the foreclosure rate in Habitat Homes is less than the U.S. average. And that the U.S. average is about 3%. And that includes wealthy people for getting foreclosed on. This is the low income and it's a 2%. And so the training and what the expectation is of that Habitat owner um, aligns with, with that. And also we got involved. I mean, the mission statement, I say it's a Christian nonprofit right there on any Habitat site will say um, that basically their mission statement is seeking to put God's love into action by bringing people together to build homes, communities, and hope. And that lines with the Bible 100%. In 1 John, John talks about show sincere action, not empty words. And right. we hear enough about, right, empty words from people, ah, that, 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 you know, okay, enough of that. Um, but that sincere action, so I believe we, we like that mission statement too. Okay. Well, it's kind of interesting. So Habitat for Humanity actually owns the home. Yes. And and if there's a default of any kind, Goes they back get to Habitat. it back. And, and then Habitat would find somebody else who would qualify yes. to get in there. So, so it really isn't ever, it's not owned until they pay the mortgage off by themselves. That's correct. And so that's really an accountability factor. And I didn't know that. I thought they made them go get a loan from a bank and that kind of thing. And Habitat was kind of out of it. And you know, that kind of thing. So that makes a big difference because I think all the accountability that's there and the, and the, and the support. And the so support. unlike, say, you, you're talking to your bank, like I've got a, a, you know, a mortgage or whatever bank, uh, but Habitat will come there and say, oh, like the pandemic, hey, we will work with you. Maybe some banks did, but you have a, a terrific organization and they don't forgive the loan. They'll, they may do some things, but at least uh, they're coming alongside those homeowners who have each other also, because generally they're living close in the same neighborhoods and stuff. Yeah. You know, now Habitat was, it, it really got started when um, I, in 1980 or in that range. Right. 76. You know, 76. So a little, in 1980 I, uh, or 80. Three, I think it was. Um, I had moved, needed a home, and and we were in ministry, and really our salary was very minimal at that point, and really couldn't afford anything, and uh, and so we were able to qualify, not for Habitat, for another program though that got us a one percent loan, and you know I can vouch for the fact that was that was from God. It was a great relief. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to focus on what we were doing, but you have to live somewhere. I mean, you got to live somewhere, and I couldn't afford anywhere to live. And so it was like, God, what are you going to do? What can I do here? So I was uh, very thankful that somehow there was a program that allowed me to get started. And, and really, since then, again, I'm a student of that in a way or, or an example. Since then, my house has been completely paid for. I own it. And, and now we're, um, you know, being able to be in ministry for 40 years. And it, we were able to get a generous start. Uh, that allowed us to do it. And I can vouch for the fact, too, we weren't taking, you know, the people who gave us the loan for granted or, or taking them for a ride. We didn't have the money. And so it, it's either we have to figure out how to do this and somehow make it, and God supplied that. So I think that God can use a place like Habitat for Humanity for uh, many people that need a start, that need to be able to sort things out, and if people like yourself are involved, I am convinced that they'll see the, the hand of God in it because that's all you want. You, you want them to see that they're important to God, that they're important to you, that they're important uh, in the sense that, that we can go and, and invest in their lives and, and want to. 
And you know, our nation is so angry with each other right now that this is probably a really good idea <laughs> uh, in many respects. The, my question, the sweat equity, if somebody is trying to do this, they're holding a full-time job, um, how do they put more time into the house? Do they do it in the weekends or their, their time? Do you work with them so that they can keep their full-time job and still, I, I don't get yes. the sweat equity part. Well, yes. Uh, so part of the, and part of the application, you, you have to have a job because you have to qualify for the mortgage just because Habitat's hanging on to it. You still got to be able to pay your mortgage. So the sweat equity is uh, generally the homeowners will be there on Saturdays, but Often, like uh, the volunteers, I don't know, the volunteers will be there throughout the week. But for myself, I'll see them come out maybe after work, maybe four to six. Again, doing two hours uh, during this week. So, and remember, it takes on average, say, five months to build a house. But remember, most of the sweat equity is on other folks' house. Okay. So they get into the program, and their house may be a year or two away from being built. They're accepted, but they know their house, it could pay till they start another year. So I'm starting to build my sweat equity on my fellow Habitat uh, neighbor. Okay. And I'm working on their house. And so I put in a couple hours a week, but that adds up uh, over, you know, a period of a year to two where I can get that. But you will not be able to move in until you satisfy all those requirements. Oh, man, that's really good. I mean, when you look at that, you think that's really a, a, a healthy program. It's almost a program you think the government should have thought of. <laughs> uh, in some respects. But as so many times, as, as is the case, it's left in the hands of those who love God, and God, I think, instills in their heart, let's solve this problem. Um, and we think, well, I can't solve it. Of course you can't solve the whole problem, but you can be somebody who looks at it and says, you know, here's what I can do. I, I can do this. I mean, you personally, you and your wife are not going to solve the problem of volunteer labor you know, by yourself. But it doesn't mean that you don't go do it. It doesn't mean that you don't do what you can do. Uh, in the end, the, we ask God to bless whatever we do in life. It, it's really putting people in a position where God could speak to their hearts. It isn't us speaking to their hearts. You know, we can't solve the problems of mankind. That's not for us to do. But we can love people. And sometimes I think we're afraid to serve people who aren't like us, who don't see like us or understand like us and yet at the same point we need to realize it's God's job to get into their life um, as I said earlier the people that were around Jesus saw something unusual enough to be attracted to him and sometimes I think those who are believers are trying to mix too much with those who are unbelievers in a way where they, there's nothing unusual about them and so what would that attract anybody to in life. So I think as you go and serve and you give, there's something really encouraging about finding somebody with a positive attitude that just wants to serve. When you came and you and your wife came to Silver Birch Ranch and you were excited about the opportunities that were going to be here for you, I was just thankful. You know, I mean, as the you know, president of the ministry, I'm looking and saying, you know, thank you. Because right now our people are short. We're short on help. Our people are tired. And you come in and you say, I'm here, we'll do it. And I'm thinking, you know, good for you. And, and that's exactly how God works, I think. So we're going to have you hang around for one more and, and talk about this a little bit more. And I thank those that are listening. Uh, you're listening to Younger Older. And I'm Dave Wager, your host. We're here in the studios at silverbirchranch.org. 
They're on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute, and I invite you to go to those websites and check out those various ministries, as well as Habitat for Humanity, and we'll continue talking about that in the next segment. Goodbye for now.